Good morning. You're listening to 88.7 FM Radio Hofstra University, live from the Richard Philip Cavallaro Studio South. Welcome to the Monday edition of Hofstra's Morning Wake-Up Call, where we're talking Long Island life, national news, and international issues. I'm your host, Matt McDermott, joined today by Nathan Ritchie, my co-host, my wonderful co-host. We're going to be discussing issues in the American supply chain, as well as poor living conditions at Rikers Island Jail. Before we talk about all those scary and dark topics, though, <laughs> Nathan, how are you today? I'm uh, doing all right. I'm, I'm a bit tired. Maybe not uh, the most prepared to talk about these heavy issues, but uh, we'll, we'll get through it. Um, I know it's a lot of different uh, issues, especially uh, in the New York area that we're dealing with today, so I'm excited to get into it. Absolutely. Nathan, you're always prepared for these issues. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> All right, our first story that we're going to be getting into today is the American supply chain experiencing issues for several weeks, including shortages and abnormally long wait times. These supply problems are caused by a lack of essential workers such as warehouse workers, dock workers, and truck drivers, and are expected to last until 2022. The pandemic is largely to blame for these supply shortages. Production and distribution of goods virtually halted during the initial stages of the pandemic, and production is only now returning to pre-COVID levels. However, distribution networks have largely corroded over the past 18 months, leading to widespread disruption. Now, this I feel very bad for the kids that are young this year, because it's going to be very bad for what Christmas means to them. Parents need to order their stuff pretty early now, because if they don't, it's going to get locked up in, near a port or on the highway system because we don't have enough truck drivers, and it won't get to their house. Because it really doesn't matter how fast someone can produce these toys. The thing that actually matters is how fast it's distributed. And if it's not give, get if it's not getting to an Amazon warehouse, you know, or a Toys R Us shop, you know, then these kids aren't going to have Christmas. And I know this is like the least of the concerns we're going to get into regarding this topic, but it still really does break my heart for those poor little kids. Right. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting, like you said, with um, how it's distributed, how fast it's distributed. Because we already see so many issues with distribution, especially in high volume areas like New York, uh, like any metropolitan area. So it's going to be interesting this year and in the coming year to really see uh, how highways do with with uh, all these truck drivers um, frantically shipping these goods in and uh, delivering. And we're, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, shipping services, Amazon, FedEx, UPS, USPS, who has already had their fair share of shipping problems, and they still do. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's going to be interesting to see that. Uh, And I think we're not going to see as a reliable kind of, not the speed people would want their their stuff to to be shipped. No, absolutely not. And you made up a point that I think is um, an interesting one about how the highways themselves are going to deal with the truck drivers, the influx of truck drivers moving in and out of the system. And now I'm wondering, because I've kind of been noticing, and I don't know if this is just me, and I don't know if this is at all connected, but I've seen a lot more, it seems like there's a lot more truck drivers on the road these days. And for a shortage, I'm wondering if they're kind of compensating for that by having a lot more trucks that they possibly can have on the road, on the road. So again, I'm not sure if this is related. It could just be Matt seeing things after he's... It's like a confirmation bias sort of thing. Right. But it's an interesting thought for sure. Also, we're not the only country dealing with stuff like this. You know, I think the UK a couple months back had a really bad fuel shortage. And it wasn't because they didn't have a fuel supply. It was only really because they didn't have the means to transport that fuel. You know, for them, it was it was a disturbing topic for them to broach because 
they had the fuel supplies in hand, but they were lacking something like 100,000 truck drivers. So people were panic buying gasoline. Um, people were fighting at gas stations. It was, it, was, it was pretty bad in the UK for a little while. And I think that's cleared up a little bit, thank God. But um, the thing is, who's to say, not that particular thing can happen here, but supply shortages can happen here. And I seen, feel like we already have seen that to an extent. That's exactly, that was the other thing I was going to get into is how bad is, is Black Friday going to be? How, oh, no. <laughs> I didn't how, even think of that. Yeah, how bad is, is the demand for toys? How is the demand for, for goods going to affect people to the point where it's like what we saw at the beginning of the pandemic where people are hoarding, where people are stockpiling when they really don't need to because they're just panicking? Yeah, absolutely. That's um, that's a good um thing to say because I feel like Black Friday is always one of those days that we all know stay away from the malls, stay away from the stores unless right. you're going there. You know, like no one's going to go Christmas shopping unless if they're going for Black Friday deals. And yeah, absolutely. Right. But nobody's going to go Christmas shopping at Tanger Outlets, let's say, on Black Friday. And I feel like this is just going to make it worse because there's going to be that same demand, especially because we're just coming out of COVID, or it seems like we're just coming out of COVID, and there's less of there's less goods being on the shelves because of these supply issues. So that's what I'm really worried about because even on a normal year, we usually have a couple people, and this, is, this isn't even me being facetious. This is just a sad fact. There yeah. are people that get trampled on Black Friday. Oh, yeah. And I'm curious to see how this is going to affect that. And again, this, these seem like little trivial things in comparison to the big picture of supply shortages and stuff, but they're really not. It's really something to keep an eye on, especially if you're planning on buying Christmas gifts for someone, you know? Yeah, I think it's the perfect storm. Uh, you've got a bunch of people who, who feel like COVID restrictions have alleviated and who feel like that they f- can finally get out and, and go Black Friday shopping in person, buy their tangible goods off the shelves uh, like they couldn't last year. And then you have these supply shortages. And so, you know, we're not just going to see one uh, Walmart front door get shattered. You're going <laughs> to see a lot of them get shattered this year. It's usually, you, uh, yeah, exactly. You usually have the one thing that some random person photographed or videoed right. of a Walmart getting kicked in and everyone's like laughing like oh look at American consumerism on Black Friday you know <laughs> I have news right. for you bud it's gonna I feel like this might happen a little bit more than you want it to this year um you made an interesting point about oh man my train of thought completely lo- left the st- <laughs> it left the station without me happens to me all the time oh yeah that happens to me on the show off the show I just it, like it's like something just steals a thought right out of my head but I will say <laughs> that a lot of this reminds me of we're too young to remember this exactly. I don't remember it. You don't remember because I think it happened either right when we were born or before we were born. But um, during the dot-com bubble, um, when everyone was buying their Christmas shopping online, you know? Right. And they failed to account that their express delivery travels from a different continent on very slow ships. So come the night before Christmas, all these delays were happening because they couldn't unpack them fast enough or they weren't arriving to U.S. ports fast enough. So a lot of parents got caught running to Toys R Us or, you know, those toy stores to buy their kids the toys that they had already bought but were coming after Christmas. And a lot of Toys R Us sold out. And it was, um, it's, it's, again, trivial thing, but it kind of plays into account this greater narrative of how our supply shortages are going to affect our nation, you know? Right. I think we're going to see that history kind of repeat itself this year in a way. Mm -hmm. I think... Companies like Amazon uh, and, uh, you know, Target, who also provides their own shipping, and, of course, the other ones I mentioned, FedEx, USPS, UPS, Mm. they're not going to be able to, you know, flex that, 
oh, well, same day delivery, we'll we'll get it to you. Because we've really expedited our shipping services from 2002, you know. Yeah. We, like, we've gone a long way, especially as um, consumerism um, is bustling online more these days. Uh, and that's obviously another effect of COVID. Uh, but I think it's going to def- it's definitely going to be different than the past maybe three years where Amazon can can pull off same day delivery. I don't think there's enough staffing, which is another topic we we will discuss. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think there's enough obviously supply uh, to meet the needs of uh, the the public. You know, what you said, Nathan, reminds me of a conversation that I had a few days back with, I think, my partner. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, there's this kind of instant gratification culture in the United States now, or really across the world. I can't even, like, blame Americans for this because it's kind of worldwide. Right. You know, like you said, same-day delivery, express delivery, one day, two days. I remember ordering something from Amazon. It was, like, um, it was a hard drive, an external hard drive for a class I'm taking. And I was like, what do you mean this takes three days to get here? I'm not used to this. I'm, wa- I'm used to waiting one day for my stuff to get here. I'm thinking to myself, like, wow, like, that's the most first world problem I've ever, like, <laughs> thought up of in my head. Like, what do you mean my hard drive's not coming for three days, you know? Right, yeah. Do you, you know, have Prime? I do have Prime, too. I do have Prime as well, yeah. That's the thing, you know, like, we all have these, um, like, I'm sure you're used to it, too, because we both yeah. use Amazon Prime. We see these express delivery services that show up to your door in, what, two days, tops? Yeah. So I feel basically. like people are going to panic when their Christmas toy takes a week to arrive or two weeks to arrive, you know? And I keep using Christmas toys as an example because that's where I empathize with most, you know, the kids that are going to miss out on Christmas for this. But, um, you know, it could go with other really important stuff, you know? Um, parts for factories, right. parts for vehicles in the United States that aren't made in the U.S., like Honda, like Mitsubishi, you know, all these vehicles that make up a significant portion of the U.S. automobile market with ports with with parts that are made in foreign lands. Um, medical supplies that aren't made in the United States. That's very important. Yeah. yeah. So I keep I keep using Christmas as an example, so I don't want to make it sound like, oh, you know, poor no kids missing Christmas. <laughs> no it's gonna, Christmas that's only going to affect, yeah, it's only going <laughs> to affect them. Because it really does have pretty scary implications for everyone else in the United States. Right. So I don't know. My heart just goes out to the kids, but um, I think it really should be going out to uh, the people who are going to, like, have broken down cars or missing oxygen tanks, you know? Yeah, exactly, especially as we have to keep up our supply our medical supply of um of uh what are they called the machines that uh store vaccines refrigerators oh refrigerators i don't know i mean like i don't think there's like a specialized name yeah okay i guess they are refrigerators there's some kind of refrigerator that's what i've always said yeah they're they're a sterile refrigerator yeah yeah um so that's gonna that's definitely gonna be interesting as we look into it uh in these next uh coming years but uh as for the staffing shortage i mean i remember i i was working for a warehouse really over the summer over these past two summers really was it around here in rochester it was in rochester so Mm. obviously the the biggest um grocery store in in the northeast wegmans uh everybody says that i've never seen a wegmans you you're from you're from New Jersey, aren't you? No, I'm from Long Island. Long, you're from Long Island. I, I always forget. I'm like, Ow! That's like <laughs> that makes that that hurts my heart. Dude. I mean, you're I'm from sorry. New Jersey, right? Ow! <laughs> I mean, I, I yeah, I, I I know a lot of people from New Jersey. No, it's so totally. I, 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 I love them. I love them all. Time. But yeah. <laughs> I'm from Long Island. We gotta knock New Jersey when we can. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Everyone from New York always when they yeah. can. Yeah. 
Anyway, Wegmans. Yeah, you were right. working as a warehouse worker in Wegmans. Yeah, there there are no Wegmans in Lo- on Long Island. There's one in Brooklyn. Mm. That was that's probably probably the only one you could have got exposure to. Yeah, and I'm not going to Brooklyn for Wegmans. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, someone from Rochester might say differently. Might be like, hey, I, I'm. It's totally worth it. Wait. That. So do you have Ro- uh, Wegmans in Rochester? Oh yeah. So Wegmans is all throughout the northeastern seaboard. Um, and there's one in Virginia Beach. That's like the odd one. <laughs> and then they're working to expand all the way down this East Coast. So they just shun Long Island, I see. Apparently we're not part of the Eastern Seaboard. I guess not. I don't know. I mean, there, yeah, there might be there might be some other implications of that, but we'll see. Anyways, I was working for um, one of their warehouses. I was shipping fresh food. So I was basically working in a 34-degree refrigerator all day. Move. Um yeah, it it sounds like a gruesome job, but it's really like you get amazing benefits, employee discounts, uh, workwear. Um, they provided ample break time, free lunch, or not free lunch, but you know, D- discounted discounted or, yeah. lunch. Uh, and I quit at the same time. Uh, the other four hundred ninety thousand <laughs> warehouse workers quit their job uh, in August. And, I mean, I, it wasn't for the reason that the job was gruesome, which I'm sure that was probably the largest reason out of the 490,000. Mm. Um, it was mainly just because I was struggling to, to balance my other priorities. Like, I had, I had another job refing soccer and another, uh, a lot more work that I was doing for WRHU and for, um, for the Heat Network over the summer. Mm-hmm. And it just wasn't very uh able to balance but i understand uh why these employees are quitting their job obviously we've had so many talks about amazon mistreating their workers so i'm wondering if maybe this staffing shortage kind of brings to light to those big companies maybe we should be doing more to try and keep them maybe we should be offering them not minimum wage um, maybe we should be offering them benefits. No, absolutely. I think that you just kind of spoke on a larger problem that we've all kind of been like peripherally aware of. Right. You know, like we all know the conditions in, like, say, an Amazon work, um, not workhouse, warehouse, that um, are really not the best. We all know somebody who's worked there. We all know somebody who's worked at even the Postal Service or the UPS or something. I know I do. And they've told horror stories about their time working for any delivery company or warehouse company. But you just spoke on a larger issue in regards to those people that quit their jobs are quitting them for reasons, you know? And I feel like maybe not the legal responsibility, but it's the moral responsibility of the company. And and not even like a moral responsibility, it's just a good business decision to try to incentivize those workers, those 490,000 workers, that's almost half a million workers in a month that quit their jobs to stay. Because if you don't, you're going to have more people quit. And you're going to have people, of course, that are going to take some of the jobs. You know, people work is work and people will take the jobs because they need them. But 500,000 people, almost 500,000 people, that's insane to make up. That's an insane amount of workers to make up in a short amount of time. That takes usually months. And and I don't want to say thank God because this is also kind of a symptom of bad, not behavior, but bad societal ills. But we're coming back from the COVID recession. You know, there's a lot of jobs out there. I think 4.3 million people quit their jobs as a whole last, last month which set a new record for people quitting their jobs in a month. 
But that's actually a good sign because that means people are confident they could find another job in this market. Um, so I've been told. So, you know, I think that this is um, definitely not a good thing for the topic that we're talking about, you know, as far as supply shortages, because without warehouse workers, without docking workers, without truck drivers, and these stuff, this stuff isn't going to get on the shelves. But, I mean, as far as the actual economy goes, or the implications for the economy, the signs that the economy is revving back up, I think this is a good sign. I, yeah, I, I can agree with that. And I mean, we, we do have to be careful about the out of the many people that quit their jobs, people that are still disgruntled about finding a job and people who are, yeah. are kind of finding themselves out of the workforce because of it. But there is a lot of hope there. I mean, especially for college students graduating this year, next year. I mean, even for the next five years, for, for that matter, uh, can easily find a job in in those markets i mean um, i mean it depends on what market right depends what market that's yeah uh, that's the scary part yeah right um i mean you you're right though you know i think this is a good sign like i said i think that this is kind of this this um implies an economic recovery at least in the works and if the supply chain shortage kind of slows things down you know, that's um that's that's that. You know, there's not much we here sitting in WRHU studios or you there sitting at home or in the car unless you're a truck driver or a warehouse worker can do much about it. Right. Um, even if you are, you know, you can't do much about it on the individual level. This is more of like a systematic thing. But um we'll get through this. We've gotten through everything so far. And I know I've made a lot of comments on this show uh, over the past year and a half about how we don't have resiliency as a society and how our infrastructure <laughs> is like a matchstick house, you know, flick one, everything else falls down. We, see that, we saw that a lot during COVID, but I think that for the most part, everything's going to be okay. Not for the most part. Everything's going to be okay. <laughs> and everything is, um, your kids are going to get their Christmas presents, if, even if they're a couple days late. Right. Moving on from that, we're going to be moving on to our next story headed by the wonderful Nathan Ritchie. Coming up next on 88.7 FM, WRHU. We're back again on 88.7 FM, Radio Hofstra University. I'm Matt McDermott, here with my co-host Nathan Ritchie on Monday's edition of the Hofstra Morning Wake-Up Call. Nathan, I understand you have a story for us about Rikers Island. Yes, Rikers Jail has uh, their 13th dead detainee uh, yesterday, uh, since the start of the year. Uh, And atrocities like this have been uh, since marked by the New York Times, uh, and now it's more openly reported by the greater media. Workers abuse sick leave policies or they quit altogether, and that caused a major staffing shortage within the island and within the jails. In turn, prisoners now have free reign over Rikers and are free to walk the campus and use the facilities to a greater extent than they should or that than they have uh, been given uh, jurisdiction to, and even to use tools within the facilities, which have, uh, which have been used to light joints and cigarettes and have also been used for physical conflict which in turn leads to uh, the insane amount of, of death that we see within these facilities and within Rikers Jail. And New York City and jail officials uh, have reported staff ignoring and even aiding conflict by giving access to these tools within the jail. And many of these people are still awaiting trial, and, and many have mental illness as well. And COVID-19 has also been running rampant throughout, through all jails and prisons in the U.S. for that matter, and have killed many people within the jails, uh, and uh, it ended up being the reason this 13th uh, detainee died yesterday. He died of COVID? Uh, He did die of COVID. Mm. Uh, And uh, I think it was, I think the other 12 died um, from physical conflict or something 
uh, related to injury. That would make sense. I mean, we're going to get into the um, amount of assaults and just the amount of violence that's present on Rikers Island in a few minutes. But, you know, as someone who grew up in the New York metropolitan area, and I'm sure you, because you grew up in upstate New York, that's still New York, right. um, I'm pretty sure we could tell you that Rikers Island has a very bad reputation. That's kind of the place that you don't want to go under any circumstances. You know, it's kind of like, oh, behavior, go to Rikers Island sort of thing. Um, I had a teacher in middle school, my seventh grade social studies teacher, Miss um, Posse, if you're out there, shout out to you. Um, but she worked in a teaching, before she worked in my middle school, she worked in a teaching unit at Rikers Island. Wow. And she would tell us some of the stories that were just absolutely insane. I remember, I'll remember this clearly until the day I pass. I remember she was telling us a story about a kid that was sitting in front, that was sitting in front of her because you know the layout of a classroom, the teacher's in front. Right. So another kid made a snide remark about the kid behind him and the kid took off. You know those, like, desks that you sit in in classrooms? Like, the, they're, like, a desk and a chair mixed in together, and they're filled with, like, these little bars and weird stuff. Right, yeah, the the desk is, like, built into the yeah, chair. With like a, yep. Yeah. So this kid took one of the bars from that that was already loose and hit the other guy, prisoner in the head over it. And wow. the last thing my – that was the last thing my teacher saw before she decided to quit, and I can't blame her. You know, that's just absolutely insane. But going just the point of that is people kind of underestimate how bad Rikers Island is. And we're going to get into that. But like, oh, my God, can you imagine that? Just like working in a school and then a kid wails on another kid with like a pipe. I, I can't imagine. It's like that. you can't even fathom that. <laughs> I know. And I mean, how do you go from how do you go from that to teaching seventh grade? <laughs> That's wow. And she was she was younger, too, is the thing. Like, I think she was like 30. So okay. I'm like, you've had quite the teaching ex- career, and you're not even, like, 30. But regardless, I was I was asking that question myself. Like, how do you go from Rikers Island to teaching 7th right. grade? I mean, it's, it's kind of similar. 7th graders are pretty uh, <laughs> pretty uh, malicious. But yeah, I know my middle school, we used to call Rikers Island 2.0, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that just goes to show uh, not only how bad it is at Rikers Island, but the staffing shortage that – they've had a problem with over these past five years six years and i mean it's the same with nurses uh at rikers island as well and the jail officials the people who have um control over the behavior of these prisoners and who can uh reprimand them for their behavior are creating a situation where the staff that can't do the same like nurses like teachers are facing the brunt of the of the burden, you know? Absolutely. And so now they have to uh, kind of reel them in, or try to at least, and it's obviously very hard, near impossible. I think um, this kind of circles back around. Like, I feel like every show has a theme, and like whether we <laughs> intended to or not. And I feel like this, this week's theme is um, supply issues and staffing issues. Because the same thing that we were talking about with the docking workers and with the warehouse workers is also affecting the prison system, apparently. Right. I mean, Rikers Island is a state facility. It's not even like a private facility. And you still have an insane amount of sick leave. And um, I know we're talking about, not sick leave, but you have a insane amount of workers quitting. I know we were talking about sick leave. I know we were talking about um, time off. But, you know, you can't entirely blame the prison guards that are working at Rikers Island for not wanting to work at Rikers Island. Oh, yeah. Um, also, they've been going through some pretty bad conditions as well. I mean, I was reading one report that said they were working some days up to like 25 hours because of those staffing shortages. Right. There are parts of the prison that are just basically no-go areas for guards, which is absolutely insane. But 
it's just the way the prison system is, and I feel like it's been overloaded and overworked, rather, because of COVID. Yeah, and there's got to be a way to kind of incentivize, incentivize people to be employed as prison workers, and I, I, I'm, I have no idea what that yeah, I was about incentive to say. is. But something has to change within the staffing sector of, of this job. And, I mean, it's, it's going, I, I don't know how long it's going to take to change because, as you've seen over, these past, over the past decade, mm-hmm. even longer than a decade, things have not changed. No, they haven't. And I feel like, you know, there's always been this talk about Rikers Island shutting down. You know, people are always right. like, I want to close, not I, but all these mayors and all the mayor staff are like, we want to close Rikers Island. We want to distribute it to smaller, more manageable facilities in all around the New York metropolitan area because Rikers Island is one of the largest prisons on the planet. Yeah. And it's it can hold up to 15,000 people. I think something like 12,000 are there. No. Is it overcrowded? I want to say 12,000, but that I can I, understand if there's a staffing shortage, it might seem overcrowded. Right. I feel like I, that's that's more what's going on as opposed probably, to actual yeah. overcrowding. Um, because I feel like our infrastructure, at least up here in the Northeast, we kind of are more protective about that. But, you know, we've always been saying shut down Rikers Island, shut down Rikers Island, distribute it to more manageable facilities around the around the city. But it just never happened, you know. And it's um it's got to be a scary job and a scary thing for people who get sent there for nonviolent offenses. Right, yeah. And, and it's, I mean, they're they're trying to keep these facilities off of, you know, off of uh, the mainland, off of Manhattan, and off of Long Island, Brooklyn, Queens, yeah. as much as possible. I mean, and you don't been, want a prison where you live, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And, and especially in such a crowded area. Uh, but, the, I mean, there there just has to be a way for it to change. I, I don't, and I don't know. I mean, the, in 2019, Bill de Blasio, I think, that was when he announced that they were going to close Rikers Island or Rikers Jail uh, by 2026. Mm-hmm. And that's still becoming that's still slowly becoming a a possibility for them, and I think this brings to light even more that we need it to close even sooner. We need to outsource these different uh, detainees. Um, s- many of them still awaiting trial. Yeah. Some of them might not even have done anything remotely bad. You know? But they're stuck at Rikers Island because they can't post bail, you know? Exactly. Or there's evidence holding them there that, sh- that is um, faulty or fraudulent, you know? You never know. Right. And, you know, I'm not saying that every... Well, we're not saying that everyone at Rikers Island is a saint, you know, because that's not the case. But I feel like, like you said, you know, there's a difference between a jail, which Rikers Island is, and it often... It mostly holds prisoners on the state level waiting trial, mm-hmm. and a prison, which holds prisoners after they've already been sentenced and already been put to a certain punishment by a judge and a jury. So kind of like this imprisonment with no actual, well, charges, but no actual crime, that happens more often than people want to think it does. And it's a really scary um, proposition, especially for minority communities in New York, because they're the ones that are often, I don't want to say targeted, but they're the ones often affected by, um, you know, police crackdowns. Exactly. And jails and prisons alike are meant for reform they're Mm. meant for not just punishment but rehabilitation rehabilitation and this is that exhibits Rikers Island exhibits no 
sense of rehabilitation whatsoever. No, absolutely not. I mean, I told you the story about the um, my teacher who right. worked as a teacher in Rikers Island, the violence in that classroom, which is insane. I feel like one of the things that we all want to say here and that we've been saying, me and Nathan, is that none of this is new. You know, Rikers Island has been a horrible place since the 80s. And it's pre- it has pretty much every issue a prison can have. You know, it has mistreatments of inmates by guards, assaults on staff by inmates, high suicide rates, overuse of solitary confinements, discrimination against gay prisoners, all these things that, like, it, you could, like, list it off. And if it wasn't an actual prison with actual human beings suffering, a jail, at, rather, with actual human beings suffering inside, it would be almost comical just how much is going wrong with Rikers Island. Yeah. There was... 11,941 assaults by inmates on other inmates over the course of 2021. There are 140 assaults against guards by inmates a month this year. Wow. That's insane. I, that's, that's not even fathomable. I don't even, like I'm, I'm try, like, I'm trying to make sense of these numbers in my head. But a lot of, t- most towns, most cities in the U.S. don't have that level of violence. Right. That's just that's, that's 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 you can't even think of that. Yeah, and there have been other stories, uh, again documented by the New York Times, uh, about uh, inmates hijacking prison bu- or jail prison and jail buses, oh and driving them right into the walls, uh, just rampaging around the island. Uh, and that, you know, we were talking about, you know, the list goes on and on of, of what goes wrong at Rikers Island. And another th- one of those things is is infrastructure. And th- this is why the the walls, the walls are literally crumbling. Yeah. On, because on people are driving minibuses into them. That and nothing has been done. Yeah. And th- that brings up another point that Rikers is a city jail. It's a New York City jail. Uh, but detainees are also sent uh, on state basis, on the basis that they violated state laws. Uh, so that kind of interconnects the state government and the city government. And so you have this discourse between, uh, you know, de Bla- the de Blasio administration and now the Hochul administration uh, trying to collaborate and trying to... Uh, litigate to determine the fate of the jail, the ultimate fate of, of the infrastructure, mm-hmm. of even if we're going to close this by this time. And just nothing is getting done. No one can come to an agreement, much like everything else in this country. <laughs> uh, that's a hyperbole, but... Yeah. No, I understand it, though, because I understand the frustration because these are two people, and I don't want to say teams when it comes to politics, <laughs> but these are two people working from the same political party on an issue that pretty much everybody can agree needs to be dealt with. Right. That's not even speaking to some of the issue, other issues in the country where some people don't even think it's an issue and other people think it's the worst thing since the meteor that killed the dinosaurs, you know? Right. So it's that is a good point to make as far as just the same administration with the same party and the same allegiance is struggling to make sense of this issue that everyone agrees needs to be made sense of. Um, my curiosity when it comes to Rikers is if it's kind of like a pressure cooker of sorts now at this point. Because, you know, if there's 11,000 assaults a year by inmates against other inmates, that's that's staggering. Right. And, you know, we don't have, like, prison riots much anymore in the U.S. Um, the most that I could really remember off the top of my head is the one that happened actually upstate, um, Attica. Yes, in Attica. Yeah. Um, that was in the 70s, though. 
There was one, another bad one, I think, in San Quentin in um, New Mexico. Okay. But those are the two main ones that happened, and they happened like 50 years ago. But, you know, you this is kind of like a perfect storm situation. You know, staffing shortages, a lack of infrastructure within the prison, a lack of control over the inmates, violence among the inmates. You know, and I feel like, and I'm sure people can attest to this if they're working there, people have to walk on, like, tiptoes, you know, to avoid sparking an incident that could, you know, probably not cause another Attica because people are more prepared for that, right. but cause a really bad disruption within the prison, within the prison system even in New York City. Because if you can't transport um, people to Rikers, I mean, I don't know what else there is in New York City. There's a prison out in Yapank. I think there's a, a jail out in Yapank. I think there's a jail um, over here in Nassau. Right. Um, yeah, there is. They have Sing Sing a little up the river, but that's a prison. So I don't know if they could even transport prisoners that far. Right. And that's another thing. They were talking about transporting um, some of the detainees to other uh, jails. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just don't know how that'll work uh, logistically. I don't know how feasible that is uh, with the magnitude of, of, of people that there is on Rikers Island. It's um, one of those things you got to do it very slowly and very carefully. Exactly. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's not happening fast enough if we want to close this by 2026, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Now, you just made a good point, too, because how are we going to get all these people off the island? <laughs> you know, and, like, going back to the point we made, you know, not everybody on Rikers Island is there for violent crime. Some of them are just in for, you know, petty little offenses, uh, theft, um, drug selling, you know, things that aren't inherently violent. But for every one of them, you have a murderer. You have a rapist. You know, people that really shouldn't be alone with other people right so how do you there's transporting a drug dealer transporting someone who stole a car is one thing transporting a murderer or someone who violated another human being that's something completely different that's a completely different thing to take on and that's something that they're going to need to be cognizant of when they're transporting people you know whether it be to yapank which people don't want you know to yapank or nassau county or like i said sing sing up the hudson you know you you never know right and it's it's such a tough issue to fix at this point like we i mean i feel like we've we've dug ourselves in this hole that we that we got to get out of now uh with rikers island and i mean you know i wish it was i I wish it was similar to you know the jails and prisons on the west coast or in the in the desert you know where it's you have all this space yeah. To just put a jail or a prison and I've had I've had the privilege of driving on a on an Arizona highway as oh, wow. as much of a privilege as that is. There's a ton <laughs> of traffic. It's yeah. Seventy five mile an hour uh throughway with two lanes. It's kinda awful. That sounds insane. it's it's different, that's for sure. Than here, yeah. Uh, a lot of commercial vehicles. Mm. T- shout out to our last story. Yeah, right. <laughs> but not anymore there's not. <laughs> Right, uh, but you know, there's there are signs on the highway that say, "Do not pick anyone up that's hitchhiking." They might the be hi- a prisoner. <laughs> exactly, they might be escaping. They, uh, so just be careful. And I, I think that's just insane. The the <laughs> the difference between uh, not only the prison system here, but the highway system uh, on both sides. That is coast. insane. It's crazy how different places have different concerns. You know, like right. up here we have like deer crossing signs. Yeah, right. In Arizona they have don't pick up the hitchhiker because he might be a prisoner escaped from the jail <laughs> signs. There was a sign that I saw a while back. I think it was in South Africa where it was like, wow. do not drive down this section of road alone. Carjackers have been known to operate in this area. Wow. And it's like, oh, my goodness. 
Like the like you know, as much as we're talking about Rikers Island, that's one of those things where like I don't want to say you can avoid it because things can can totally happen where you're where you look like you did something or you didn't that kind of stuff. Right. You never know. But for the most part, you know, you could really, really, really mitigate your risk of going to Rikers Island by not committing a crime. And the thing with that kind of stuff, you know, we get the hitchhikers in Arizona that might be escaped convicts or carjackers in South Africa, whatever, is that it could happen to anybody. And I feel like this is one of those things where we should kind of count our blessings because, you know, we're not in Rikers Island. We probably won't wind up in Rikers Island because we don't plan on committing any crimes. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those I, things. Yeah. And I, I mean, there are a, a number of, of social issues that result in, in, the, in a lot of minority communities uh, facing the brunt of, of the prison system uh, in the way that uh, some people just kind of get too acclimated to being in prison or being in a jail and they get out and there's no way for them to assimilate back into society and be a functioning member of society and so it's a constant cycle and that's another problem that that kind of plagues not only Rikers jail but every jail across the country yeah like what's the re-arrestorate for people who go out of prison and then are stuck with no job opportunities or no way of supporting yourself so they go back to the thing that they were doing right that's a, that's the thing that we need to discuss as a society and i'm like and, and as bad as the situation at rikers island is i'm glad that it at least kind of brings some sort of uh, awareness to this because it is exactly. something important to talk about yeah it is. that being said i think this is a good segue for our next story that we're going to get into and you can listen to it in about 15 seconds here on 88.7 fm wrhu that was a little longer than 15 seconds. Wow. But we're back again on 88.7 <laughs> FM WRHU. I'm here with my host, uh, Nathan Ritchie. I almost just said here with my host, Matt McDermott. I'm Matt McDermott. Wow. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a long morning, Nathan. Um, yes, it has. Yeah. Oh, God, I'm just so, I'm so like frazzled right now. I don't know why. Either way, we have another story to get into, and it's a wonderful story at that. Uh, not really a wonderful story, but it's a story that's important to talk about. Right. A putrid smell has been lingering over a small city in California, causing physical symptoms in many of its residents. The smell, described as having a resemblance to rotten eggs, is plaguing the city of Carson, believed to be caused by hydrogen sulfide released by rotting vegetation at the bottom of a nearby canal. The stench has been causing headaches and nausea in residents near the canal. The smell is so overpowering in some areas that the city has set aside $100,000 to relocate residents from the areas most affected. Um, I want to make clear, this is not Carson City, Nevada. Right. Because when you say city of Carson, you know, it could kind of – some people might conflate that. Yeah. Um, it's not Carson City. Carson City is, I think, in a desert. But um, this is a city called Carson in California. It has a population of about 90,000 people, which is pretty big. And, you know, there's a lot of people that need to be relocated because of this. And I feel like this is a good thing to talk about, especially in regards to our last story, because it disproportionately affects minority communities. You know, those are the people that live in the low-income housing near the canal that are probably going to be that are probably going to need to be moved, right? Because the smell is so overpowering. You know, can you imagine smelling rotten eggs? Like overpowering smell of rotten eggs when you're trying to sleep at night, or when you're trying to go for a walk, trying to go to school, work. You know, right? Exactly. And uh, this was another thing that uh, kind of is disproportionately affected people with with illnesses, people with uh, conditions like asthma, like. Um, like can like cancer, mm-hmm. uh, where they're still recovering, still uh, doing chemotherapy, um, and that disproportionately affects them. So they kind of need to be uh, treated as a priority um, 
in terms of getting them out of that area and getting them into that emergency housing uh, in a hotel uh, or what have you. Absolutely. Uh, But yeah, I just want to point out uh, this $100,000, it's state funds, right? They... Gavin yeah, Newsom this is um supply, the yeah. funds from this from the state. The they're trying to get um Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, to declare a state of emergency right. for the area because of how bad it's gotten. But as of right now, that hasn't happened yet. Um, right now, that's the city funds as well as the funds that they get from the state. Yeah, exactly, and that's the point I'm trying to make is is that it's taken so much pressure on the state government for them to even give that money to to uh, uh, the mayor Lulu. Uh, Lulu Davis Holmes, and to even declare a state of emergency to get them that that not only attention but the funds that they need to overcome this as they treat the treat the water and treat the canal. Absolutely. Um, the good news to this, if there is any, because this is a pretty sad and kind of gross story to talk about. Right. But the good news to this is that the solution to the smell is fairly easy. You know, the canal is being sprayed with an odor neutralizer that's used in a lot of landfills across the country. Um, And hopefully it will start working. But the issue is it won't start working. It won't even take effect for another like four or five days. And that's for any difference to be detected. And it might take another few weeks for it to completely die down. Um, This speaks, I feel like, a lot. It's going still across the racial inequity kind of... um, narrative. I feel like this kind of speaks a lot to different areas of the country and how they're so put apart from each other. You know, like in Bellport here on Long Island in Suffolk County, there's a big dump and it smells so bad when you're driving past it. You could smell the dump before you see it. Right. And there's houses near that dump. My grandmother lives, I think, like a mile and a half from that dump. Wow. Which is not probably, that's maybe like two miles, but it's not far off, you know? Right. She lives close to the dump and on bad days, you can smell it from her house. That's the thing. You know, this is kind of like one of those things that this is getting attention. And I'm glad it is because this is a particularly bad example. And these people do absolutely deserve to be helped. But it's happening across the country. And I'm it's it's kind of disheartening to see that nothing else is getting attention like this. Because, yeah. you know, it, it, this is kind of like a story that plays itself out in every state in its own way. Right. And, and they so they must treat that that dump pretty often then right and when they don't it just becomes an entire problem for yep. the surrounding area it gets worse right? in the summer yep that's understandable yeah i wonder if that that probably affects the housing market there too doesn't it, it i'm probably sure brings it does. the income uh brings the uh the property value down property value down exactly uh, i mean i can't like give you any hard numbers but i'd, <laughs> right. I'd imagine absolutely you know i'm not like looking up my grandmother's house on uh, on um <laughs> on what zillow. is it called zillow yeah <laughs> I was about to say Zoom or Zell. I couldn't think of the word. Some Zs, yeah. There's yeah, like some three Z. Zs in the. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, some Z um, housing market company. I'm not looking up her house on Zillow, but um, yeah. I think that that would absolutely affect the housing market there if it smells like trash most of the time. Right. Not most of the time, but even some of the time. <laughs> yeah, and and I mean it's an even worse problem on the West Coast, and I mean it's it's understandable to a degree because of. The drought that they that has been plaguing the West Coast, um, from California to Oregon to Washington, as well as uh, the pollutants they've already dumped into the river. Uh, there was an oil spill. Uh, I, th- I don't. It wasn't in this area. This was uh, near. Uh, I think it's near Long Beach, uh, Carson. California, has. right? Yeah, the yeah, same yep. oil spill. I think it it was uh, more towards San Diego, so it was more south. Do you know how that happened? There was um, oh. 
I think a ship. It was either dredging right. or it was near the bottom, and it ran aground. But instead of running aground, it hit the oil pipe, and that spilled all of the oil that was in that pipe out into the out into the ocean off of California. Yeah, that's so just, it's just kind of negligence. Exactly, and that that's the stuff that really makes me upset because, or like significant like oil spills have obviously been a like it only takes one for it to become an entire problem for years in an area we saw this oh, in the yeah. gulf of mexico uh with the bp spill uh and it just affects the wildlife it affects the residents uh, near the water uh and uh kind of inland it affects the the water safety it just affects everything the economy of the area the economy. If it's a coastal area yeah and you've lost all that money on the oil that you've spilled yep and now you have to backtrack and uh, clean and up everything that you spilled. Clean up and PR and everything. It is just an awful, awful situation for everyone. It's easy for us on the Long Island here to kind of say like, oh, you know, those poor oil spills and just kind of like peripherally kind of care about it and not really do anything to right. care about it or stop it. Not that we can, but even like have it in your mind for more than five minutes. But that's really, like you said, that's devastating to a local economy. Um, if, it, if there's a fishery there, it's gone. It's it's exactly. gone. It's gone for the next generation. Um, the birds that were there again gone for the next generation. Um, you probably can't swim in that water for like two or three years. Um, it's going to cost millions, if not billions, of dollars to clean it up, depending on how bad of a spill it was. Yeah, it's and, devastating to an area, and yeah. it's just insane that people don't take that into consideration. And they're still finding oil from spills decades ago in yeah. Alaska uh, and in the Gulf of Mexico. Yep. Uh, although the Gulf of Mexico, the the climate kind of helps ease the the pain of that, but not in the case of Carson, obviously, as we talk about the climate yeah. uh, and the drought hurts it exactly, uh, and it, and it just creates this awful situation for the wildlife and the the plant life there, and that's largely what created the the toxic odor uh, that was plaguing the city. Yeah, it's good that we talk about environmental issues because that, like we've kind of implied, if not outright already said, this does have a really big thing to do with what's going on in California. Right. As In Carson, not Carson City, oh my goodness. In Carson, <laughs> I almost just made my own mistake. In Carson, California. Um, it's They think it's mostly rotting vegetation, which has to do with the drought, so that's already kind of an issue with the environment or yep. with climate. But um, another thing that could be contributing to this is there was a wildfire about two weeks ago that they think the runoff from the waste of that wildfire might have gone into that canal, or the ash from that wildfire might have flowed into that canal and settled at the bottom of it and caused all these, um, because it wasn't just, it was homes and stuff that were burned in that fire. So all these toxic chemicals that were in the homes and they were burned up, you know, plastic, cardboard, what have you, that are now sitting at the bottom of the lake and causing it to smell really, really bad. Um, And you're you're not from Long Island, so I don't know if you remember this, but do you remember that... um, because it was kind of on national news, that fire that happened here in, like, 2012. The fire. You'll have to remind me. There was one on Sunrise Highway in 2012 okay. that was one of the largest wildfires we've had on Long Island in, like, 30, 40 years. Interesting. Yeah. It, the reason I'm bringing it up is because it was um it was contained before, I think, I think only a couple houses were damaged by it because it was in a very, like, kind of Pine barren area. The issue is... That people still need to be evacuated. And from my home, because I lived in Ridge at the time, from my home, 
um, ash was falling on our driveway. Ash was falling on our car. You could smell the smoke from the fire, yeah, which was scary, you know, at the time. But looking back on it, it's more scary thinking about the the air quality. You know, how bad was that? And how bad did that fire affect Ridge, affect Wading River, all these surrounding areas around where the fire was located? And this is on a very small scale. Now imagine the the West Coast exactly. where there's massive wildfires, like some bigger than like the size of Connecticut. Yeah, and... The, the smoke and ash travels across the country and yeah. it's affecting the air quality on the other side of the country. Yeah, do you remember last year you were seeing the haze like from exactly, the west? Yeah, exactly. You could we were affected by the wildfires in California in New York. You could see that this that general haze in the air. It was insane, and you know we're talking about like these small scale examples in like Long Island, but like look at California, look at the campfire. Um, if you want to go earlier back, look at the Pestigo fire in like the 1890s, you know, that right. burned an area the size of Connecticut. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. And I feel like that's one of those things that absolutely not goes around, comes around, but it actually comes back to bite you in the butt because you're seeing it now. I mean, you're seeing it in this city, the small city in California that I almost just called Carson City again. Um, right. But it's just a sad thing. It is a sad thing. And and like we said before, it's, it's affecting all the wildlife it's affecting every facet of life and and my girlfriend's from california really is she from um that area Do she's you know? from she's from san francisco area bay okay. area and that's not an area that's generally the most affected but mm. the areas around it so you've got tahoe up north and yep. then you've got los angeles yeah, uh and a little bit to the, the south supporting, of that. Yeah, yeah uh areas all being affected by the wildfires and so it just creates an awful situation for the entire coast and, mm-hmm. and like we said the entire country uh with with all the haze and i mean it was to the point where you know I, again we're tying this back to our theme of staffing shortage <laughs> uh with neat little bow uh just a very neat little bow with yep. with that with local fire departments um kind of recruiting uh what do they call them like uh, volunteer firefighters. Yeah, they're like deputizing other fire like exactly, um, civilians. Yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. And you bring in other fire departments from Nevada, uh, from Oregon, uh, and the surrounding areas, uh, to help uh, take down this fire. And I mean, that's been a that's always uh, been there for for past two hundred, three hundred years. They've they've done that. So, yeah. Uh, mitigate the fire. That's the thing. You know, um, New York and Long Island is in particular is unique in the United States because we have a kind of a firefighting system that is largely volunteer. You know, and I'm not right. talking about like volunteer, like I volunteered to join the New York City Fire Department, although that's that's very brave. You're, it's a paid position, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, New York, uh, New York, like Long Island firefighters are almost invariably volunteer fire departments, unpaid positions that you get reimbursed for things, but you don't get paid. And it's like a part-time sort of thing that people do if they're not working in their office job or in their construction job or what have you. Um, so as bad as it was in California, I'm imagining something like that happening on Long Island. You know, how bad that would be. When um, New York, when uh, September 11th happened, when the September 11th attack happened in 2001, um, all these fire departments that were on Long Island got called out to go help in um, New York City. And even yeah. where I am, way out east, in East Mariches, our firefighters got sent out to go support those uh, operations. So as bad as it is in California, I'm shuddering to think of what would happen if anything similar like that or any fire like that happened in um, New York or particularly on Long Island. Right, exactly. And, and that's the difference between these two 
coast is, is Los Angeles, San Francisco. Everything's kind of spread out. Uh, there's so much space out there, again, tying back to what we were talking about earlier with, with the prison system. It's all spread out. You have a lot of space yep. to work with. Uh, well, not necessarily to work with, uh, but... To deal with. To deal with. Yeah. Exactly. And you have this uh, hyper-congested area that we have in New York, uh, and who knows what would happen if there were a huge fire or some other natural disaster. Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw what happened with, with Hurricane Ida. Like, that uh, had significant effects on, on the city and on Long Sandy. Island. Uh, Sandy, I should probably, yeah. yeah, I just freshened my mind right now, but yeah, Sandy yeah. was the the bigger one, yeah, for sure. But uh, Ida too, I mean, like I was for a second, I didn't remember what that was because I didn't like think of that as a hurricane, <laughs> right? But because we got no warning about it, it was it's like exactly. it'll be a rainstorm and then four inches of rain an hour dropped. Right, exactly. We've had this conversation before, absolutely. Uh, but yeah. the thing is, it's that's the kind of thing that we need to watch out for as a state and as a society because. With the climate changing, is this is this kind of thing is going to happen a lot more often and with a lot more severity. Right, and it just ties back to the efforts that we have to make, not only as individuals, but as an entire government, uh, to get involved internationally in stopping um, the warming of the globe, of the, of the world. And uh, it's going to be a very tough situation. It's going to be a very tall task for, for the world to face. Uh, especially at this point when we've kind of, again, dug ourselves in this huge hole. Uh, but if something doesn't change rather quickly, then we can see it spreading to uh, larger parts of the, the country. No, absolutely. This is one of the things that we're just going to have to mitigate as much as we can. And it is easier said than done, especially here, because, you know, um, it's, it's not a one-size-fits-all. And I've had this discussion with you before too yeah you know um new york is not going to have the same solution as west virginia because if a if a gas tax makes sense in new york or a carbon tax makes sense in new york um it would absolutely cripple someone in rural america who drives 40 miles a day to work exactly so like it's not it really isn't a one-size-fits-all thing and that's a scary thing and but unfortunately we kind of do have to address this sooner Mm -hmm. rather than later in some way. And I'm not even saying on the individual level because, you know, I'm not the one th- – I'm not throwing, like, 300 car batteries into the ocean every day. That's true, yeah. But, um, you know, as a society and as individuals, we do need to pressure people that can do stuff to do the stuff that they need to do. Yeah, yeah. Regardless, that's probably the wrap of our show because we're getting down to the unfortunate time of day where we do need to leave our wonderful station here at <laughs> WRHU and go to class. But, um, Nathan, do you have anything else to add to this? Not even to this discussion, but about um, anything that we've spoken about so far. Uh, anything that we've spoken about so far. I, I think we, we touched on a lot of stuff today, and I think it was all, it was all extremely heavy. Uh, so I'm just going to leave it uh, with one thing uh, that we discussed in, our, in the last story we talked about. Uh, and that's just to reuse, reduce, and recycle. <laughs> that's that's slogan from our childhood. <laughs> I remember that. Uh, that like that gives me nightmares. <laughs> Regardless, after I said that reducing, reusing, and recycling gives me nightmares, we're going to sign off here. <laughs> WR- not sign off, but we're going to change our tune here on WRHU. And you've been listening to the Hofstra Morning Wake Up Call, airing on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, all at eight o'clock. The Monday show is particularly awesome. All the other shows yes, though yes. are wonderful. You should also check them out. If not on WRHU, on uh, Spotify because we actually put our shows on Spotify now. So check those out. It's been wonderful. Um, you're listening to 88.7 FM WRHU.